It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. It's Monday. We appreciate you tuning in. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. In today's episode, Brandon and I are talking about cervicogenic headaches, and this episode has so many knowledge bombs. Brandon goes deep into how to diagnose, how to treat this condition, and, and it's one of those things that oftentimes people don't realize PTs are there to help. So um, if this is something that you're going through or uh, as a clinician, you really want to take some notes because Brandon dropped some serious knowledge bombs. So um, we really appreciate you tuning in. As always, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, five-star rating. We really appreciate it. It's how we reach more people. It's also a great way to leave a question or a comment so we can have some topics for future episodes. So again, thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, we're talking about cervicogenic headaches, which is one of my favorite diagnoses to treat. But before we dive into it, Josh, how you doing this week, buddy? I'm doing well, man. One week out from taking comprehensive exams. So uh, I'm not going to lie. There's been a, a little bit of a, a cramming going on the last couple of weeks. Um, as Kyle and I were preparing for, for the course, that definitely cut into my studying availability. So it's, it's, on my, it's my own fault. But now uh, I'm in full-on uh, study mode, hours and hours a day, trying to make sure that uh, comps go well next week. Man, I am not jealous of that. I remember those days. Uh, I mean, you do not want to be there. Guys. I mean, you did. You don't want to go over staging pressure ulcers and endocrine disorders with me. That was my. Uh, my today. You don't want to. I mean, that doesn't interest you anymore. A little, little rusty on that topic, man. <laughs> well, no, honestly, as I was going through it, I realized that I kind of, I kind of was on a few things too. Uh, it's funny how when you're not actively using a certain aspect of it, uh, it requires that that time go back through it and then and kind mm -hmm. of re uh relearning it almost and it's a little easier to relearn uh, uh than it was to learn the first time so uh things are going well uh but one more week man i hear you man just keep hustling yep <laughs> yeah and then we had uh we had a pretty cool event this weekend you want to tell everybody about that oh yeah man we had our open house on saturday yesterday and how good was that I mean, we had a great turnout I and mean, shout out to oh, Debbie from Little Duck Kombucha, Terry from Blue Flower Bakery, of course, Greg from Primal Gourmet. I hope I'm making him a rich man. And then uh, our girl Nicole from yeah. Simply Yoga by Nicole, man. Um, that was awesome, man. I just really tried to take it all in. I mean, we really do have an awesome community. It's it's kind of surreal for me seeing something that you work so hard to build just sort of like flourish in a manner like that and just kind of taking off on its own because, I mean, the business side is one thing, but having all these people whom I just genuinely care about and just enjoy as human beings. Just them, them being so supportive is cool, man. And that's, 
I think it's always something that we need to keep ingrained in our business culture. We can't lose that. Yeah, no, it was an awesome experience. It was a great turnout, and I thank everybody that did come around. But I also got to give, give a shout-out to uh, a lot of our staff. You know, we didn't necessarily require anybody to be there or, or like, straight up, you know, tell anybody they needed to be there at all. So um, the fact that they wanted to come and be a part of it and stuck around the whole time when they didn't have to, a uh, big shout-out to everybody that is uh, involved in the whole process. Oh, yeah, man. We got some we got some studs on our staff. And uh, lunch is on Vertex this week, on Wednesday, one day this week. There so, getting everybody. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, man. Well, um, yeah, so we're um, going into uh, a, a cool topic today, uh, talking about headaches, uh, cervicogenic headaches specifically. And this is something I know uh, a lot, maybe a lot of folks out there don't realize that, that PTs are versed in the treatment of. So uh, first, uh, Brandon, where do you, where do you want to start with this topic? Yeah, I think we should, I guess, just quickly kind of define what it is and sort of how it presents. But I got to say first, though, I I love treating this because when you do it right, it makes you look like a magician because people come in debilitated and they get almost instant relief. So it doesn't mean it's fixed, but it's it's a start. People come in. So by definition, the words cervicogenic headache, if you break that down, it's a headache originating from the neck, from the cervical spine. More specifically, it's the upper cervical spine. And people come in with this, these headaches are usually going to be unilateral, which means they hurt on one side of their head. It's provoked by certain neck movements. These oftentimes are chronic. And when people have episodes, they can last for an hour. They can sometimes last for days. They also typically don't throb or have the aura that you typically get with a migraine headache. And um, I mean, these people have referred pain anywhere from the back of the neck to the back of the head. And oftentimes they'll have it above their eye. You know, sometimes people come in and they'll say that they feel like they have pain in front of their eyes. It's kind of like an odd description, but it's, it's a common complaint that I've heard more than one person say. And uh, one thing I'm going to throw in here, and I promised myself I wouldn't get into the weeds with it too much, but let's do it anyway, man. Um, there's this thing called the convergence theory where that trigeminal cervical nucleus that sits right at the top of your neck, it's got contributions from C1, C2, C3, cranial nerves 5, some people say that cranial nerves seven, nine, and 10 can contribute. You might want to fact check me on that. I think I got all those right. Um, so, so clinically, you know, this is relevant because what this means is that people will come in and they'll say things like, you know, when my head hurts, I always have pain in my face or in my forehead or in my teeth, almost like a sinus headache or sometimes even in, in their ears and their throat. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to keep this as simple as possible. But, but again, I think that's relevant because the point is that symptoms can kind of vary from person to person. Yeah, no, I think that, um, that was a, a knowledge bomb for sure right there, uh, getting into the weeds a little bit. But I do think it's important to, to talk about uh, the presentation a little bit, as you mentioned, the, the different symptoms that can you know coincide with, with what's going on here. And I think um, this is important to differentiate, too, that this is something that's really coming from uh, you know, the neck, and, and it's really a, a musculoskeletal issue. Right. And that is something that mm-hmm. we are, are well versed in in treating. So somebody comes to you with, um, you know, a headache, uh, you know, that you think is, uh, you know, cervicogenic in uh, in nature. Uh, what, what are you going to do? Where, where are you starting with this? First thing, man, is is this is when we really want to be well versed in differential diagnosis. So you got to rule out the big nasty. So you got to rule out things like like cervical myelopathy, rule out blood pressure, blood pressure related issues. I mean, also rule out migraines, not as serious. Um, but really anything that could pertain to them having a history of like hardening of the arteries, like arteriosclerosis, because, you know, we hear these stories occasionally in the news. There was one just a few weeks ago where people crack their own necks or someone does it for them and then they have a stroke. But we've got a pretty good idea of what happens um, to these arteries in people's necks when their neck gets cracked, it's manipulated, it gets adjusted. And it's, it's really not as stressful 
to the person or to those arteries, as opposed to something as simple as like asking them to turn their head to the left and the right. So when people have these strokes and you see these headlines, what's likely going on is that the, the stroke or maybe a vertebral artery dissection was already occurring. It was already in process. And that may have been what was causing their neck pain or headaches in the first place. Um, but if you don't do your due diligence as a, as a therapist and someone strokes out after leaving your office, you're going to get the blame. And remember, kids, the vertebral artery test will not save you in court. Do better than that. It's a bad test. Yeah, I know. We still, um, you know, we're taught, we're still taught that in PT school, and it's prefaced with the, uh, uh, you know, the the whole spiel of you need to do this uh, or you need to know this uh, because it's going to be on boards, despite the fact that it really isn't a great test. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it's one of those things. If you find yourself in court, you know, you'd like to have that box checked just because that seems to be what people are still doing. But uh, I think you you made a uh, a great point. Um, I think that was really reiterated to us is that the most important aspect in, in regards to, to that scenario is, is really a thorough history and being able to understand what your red flags are and being able to know, okay, this is appropriate and this isn't appropriate based on what you what the person's telling you and what you find. Yeah, seriously. And I mean, just to reiterate that point, I mean, yeah, check that box, but any good attorney is going to pull up like 50 articles talking about how that test is not valid or reliable. So just make sure that you're actually putting time into to do the right thing and do the best thing for the patient and be thorough as far as that goes. But man, let's get into diagnosing. Let's get kind of get away from that topic a little bit. Um, but uh, so, so diagnosing, you know, again, we, we already mentioned that what we do is we prioritize the history taken, you know, you know, get your, get your NDI, but the best data you can get is on the frequency of the headaches because that's usually what changes first. It's the frequency followed by the intensity. Um, special test, the, the flexion rotation test is important here. You, you passively flex the patient's neck as far as you can. And when I say as far as you can, you really got to pick their head up pretty, pretty far. I think that's one common mistake I see a lot of times is people don't actually look it up quite as far as it needs to go. But anyways, you do that and then you rotate from side to side. Uh, normally, a person's going to have 45 degrees-ish in that position. But when someone has a cervicogenic headache, you're going to see something around 20 degrees. Um, if you're palpating and you snap across the suboccipital muscles, particularly along that oblique capitis inferior, and it reproduces their exact headache symptoms, that's a good thing. You know, prognostically, that's going to increase your chances of getting a win. On the flip side of that, by definition, and this wouldn't be in your clinic, but by definition, if a patient had a nerve, blo- a nerve block done and it took away their headache, that would actually be the gold standard for diagnosing a cervicogenic headache. But course we don't want them to have to go there because that's you know a lot of time a lot of money and and doesn't give them like a long-term solution as well yeah no i think when you're talking about um a diagnosing it from a, a testing situation that's the big one that, that we're we were taught as well that cervical flexion rotation test and it's a good test. They, yeah and they you know uh shout to to kathy and and matt geary they're they're teaching our our class on that they um you know really did stress yes it's got to be maximal flexion and then when you're going into assessing rotation on either side, you don't want to lose that flexion. And that's where, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us there in experiences, we were doing the in-class practicing on each other going through it. It seemed that we would lose a little bit of flexion as we would go into that rotation. Um, so that was a, a big point of emphasis, but that definitely was um, the best uh, test that was, uh, that was presented to us. But um, uh, I think there's, a, you know, a few, um, a few other ones that you mentioned there, but that one's going to be my go-to when I'm out in the clinic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yet there are some other things you can do, right? You could, you could test endurance of the deep neck flexors or the, you know, cervical extensors, but I'm, I'm not convinced that two plus two always equals four in that arena, but you could still test them and it's still data you can have and data you can track as, as time goes along. 
Um, but you know, if I'm kind of just nailing it down to the one or two kind of key things, that's usually, you know, what I'm going to do to try to confirm this is what they're, uh, this is a cervical genetic headache. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those, if you've never done a, like a neck flexor muscle endurance test or anything like that, try it. It's actually a lot harder than it looks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, mm-hmm. we, of course, again, you know, going in class and we sit there, it's all right. I want everybody to get on their back. We're going to do this together. Um, it was quite difficult, but like you said, it, is it really, you know, telling us what we need to know or there's the information we gain from it really, um, that beneficial maybe. Um, but it's probably not, um, you know, probably not the, the main go-to for me. Sure. I mean, it's information, any data you can get is good. So, you know, it could be useful in some form or fashion later on. Yep. All right. So we've, we've maybe identified, this is what we got going forward. Where do we start treatment wise? So treatment wise, if it's appropriate and we've rolled out some serious things, the first thing I like to do is, as I love to crack the neck, do a spinal manipulation aiming for C1, C2. Now I'll go ahead and put out that disclaimer that yes, we know that spinal manipulation is nonspecific, even if a chiropractor does it. You know, no one knows what exactly the popping is or exactly where it occurs. You know, it could be five levels below, but that's still where I aim. And shout out to Justin Dunaway for teaching me the techniques. Man, when you get a good pop on that, people are going to thank you and probably send you an edible arrangement because they get instant relief. And all of a sudden, there's hope that they're going to get better, right? They see the light in the tunnel. And, you know, side note, when, when I get these unicorns that come in and all they need is just to get a crack and they're good for three months. Those are the ones that I actually send to my chiro friends because it's the same treatment. It's just cheaper. But oftentimes, you know, if they're really lacking a lot of range of motion along with that, a manipulation will only get you so far. And you may have to follow that up with some other kind of manual therapy techniques like some C to C1, C2 mobilizations, PO mobs, things like that. But, you know, that's where I usually like to begin because that's going to give me some kind of a quick result that I can build off of. Yeah, man, I think that... um I just have one question for you. Uh, and we've mentioned it on here before. It's like, do you have to actually get the pop? Uh, or is, are you still getting a lot of benefit if you can't actually get the, the actual <laughs> audible pop with it? Well, I think, is it, is it one study that says you don't need the pop? Maybe. Yep. That's what I'm referring to. Yep. I, I got, I got to go back to what my patients tell me. Right. So when they're in the clinic and they're on the table, if they get the pop, they get the relief. If they don't get the pop, it, it, it doesn't feel good. Now that could be placebo. That could be all neurophysiological response, man. I'm, I'm going for the pop hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right too, but I thought that was an interesting argument that, uh, that yeah. is presented that it's not actually uh, a necessary component of it, but you know, it definitely is something when uh, it, uh, whether it be placebo or whatever, um, when you get the pop, it seems to, to mm-hmm. end up resulting a, a little bit better of effect. Right. Absolutely. So, um, I guess while we're on the topic of manual therapy, it, if, if that doesn't do the trick, so if needed, I like to do some dry needling in this area. Mm-hmm. And this is probably my second favorite area of needle besides the, the heel for plantar fasciitis because it just works so well. And there's times when I'll throw in a bunch of needles back there, you know, all along the back of the neck, up the back of the skull, sometimes the forehead. But if I had to pick one spot and just use one needle, it'd be in that obliquus capsis inferior because it sits you know, right around, right on top of that suboccipital nerve, that, that dorsal ramus of C1. And, and here, I, it, for your listeners, I'm going to save you money on a dry, dry needling course. Here's how you do it. Got your patient laying prone on their belly. You put your thumb on the spinous process of C2. Put your index finger on the transverse process of C1. Find that exact middle spot between those two points. Grab you a 50 millimeter needle and just pop it straight in. And don't stop till you hit bone. Man, when you, when you get that just right, that patient's going to say, that's the spot. That's my headache. And, and yes, it can be a little uncomfortable in the treatment. When you take that needle out, people are going to feel better. 
And that's probably because you took away some of the tone or the tension of that muscle and you unkink the hose, man. It is money. That's my favorite spot to hit. Yeah, I can't, I have to say, I remember distinctly in the clinic with you, my first rotation, having a patient, you know, struggling with some cervicogenic headaches. And this was, was part of the treatment and, and you had me jump in there and do it. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this area, it's a little bit, it's a little nerve wracking if you've never needled it before. I'm not going to lie. I was, I, was, I was maybe shaking a little bit as we were going. That was day that. one, right? That was, I think that was either day one or day two. It was definitely week one. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I just thrown into the fire and it was, uh, you know, it was awesome. But um, you're right. That seemed to be, I, I distinctly remember that one patient. This is, again, this is my first time ever, ever working with, um, you know, someone who was going through this and first time needling that area. And man, that person, uh, you know, their relief was was almost instantaneous you know, following that session and and really didn't need much after that it was it mm-hmm. just seemed to be it it did the trick you know it was a little crack little needle and um you know send them home with a good HEP and that person was was golden that's right man shout out to USC for uh cadaver dissection right yeah. backbone yep. everything you do <laughs> <laughs> yep exactly man all right so you get you get the crack you get you know or yep. you needle crack. them what's next what, yeah so and and there there's all kinds there's literally hundreds of other manual therapy techniques you do but again those are just my top two that that if i have the option i'm going with those first but all right so so let's say you know we did the manual therapy got the crack when we manipulated and if we got the crack it's probably because they were tight so if that was the case i like to follow it up with some snags so that's taking the tower that belt of sorts have them hit in range rotation a few times i mean that's really the point of that and we might follow that up with some active movements like some open books or something similar to that. Um, I, I like doing chin tucks with overpressure. You know, if you do these, get aggressive. You know, tell them you don't want two neck rolls and they tuck their chin and you want well. And get those things going all day long. Uh, take a look at breathing patterns too. You know, if they're just, when you're having a conversation to the subjective, if they're using a lot of accessory muscles like their, their traps and their SCMs are like shrugging their shoulders and you see their muscles popping out of their neck, um, when they're not exerted, just have them focus a little bit on intentional breathing and some relaxation time. And that can make a huge difference as well. Um, we talked about it earlier. You know, yes, I, I will do some deep neck flexor and cervical extensor strengthening. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced that that really has a lot to do with it in the first place, but you know, if we're talking strength and endurance, I, I always like to look at it functionally. So yes, strengthen those extensor muscles, but when you can try doing it with a compound pull, something like bat wings with their head hanging off a bench, you know, their chins tucked in or something like bent over rows or deadlifts, right? So work on building up an overall or aerobic capacity as well. You know, put more mitochondria in these tonic muscles by having them do some interval work or some long slow duration on the days when they're not in the clinic and you're treating them. Um, other thing is, is don't forget about the lifestyle factors, sleep, diet, hydration, stress, all that stuff comes into play. Man, you're stealing all my uh, my points I have written down here, man. Uh, I love how comprehensive that was. My first thing that I have written down here was uh, was lifestyle, and that was something that, especially from a, a coaching perspective, or somebody that's not you're not necessarily a clinician, and you're not going to be cracking people or needling people. Mm-hmm. Um, that when somebody comes to me and they're complaining of something like this, then you know that's a big area where I'm going to look. I'm going to look at at, mm-hmm. at all of those different components you mentioned. How are they sleeping? How are they eating? What's their hydration like? Um, you know, are they you know in terms of their levels of stress? And then how are they dealing with that stress? And then do I need to adjust what they're doing from a exercise prescription standpoint to make it more um, like restorative or recovery oriented because there's so much mm-hmm. outside stress instead of adding more stress into the system? You know, so there's, there's, um, you know, definitely some outside of the, the gym or clinic areas, lifestyle stuff to dig into that. So that was my, my number one there. Um, and then I like how you mentioned incorporating 
specific strengthening to that general area, but in uh, terms of something bigger. So focusing, uh, you know, I, you said bat wings. I love doing any kind of variation kind of in um, whether it be a, a, a bat wing or any kind of single arm row or a, you know, plank variations, anything in quadruped, something that gets them in that position where they have to get in a good chin tuck position and hold it, but I'm doing something else. I'm not just going to have mm-hmm. them hold that position. Um, for me, I feel like there's, there's something more we can do. Um, so I, I love that you'd already mentioned that, but that was kind of somewhere I was going to go with too is you know we got it we got to keep training we got to keep doing um you know all these other things that are so important we can't just you know stop so mm-hmm. um, just like anything else you got you can still train as you're going through this oh yeah absolutely and just you know everything is assessment along the way too because you know let's say you do have someone who you're rehabbing for this and you actually have them lifting and you see some things that could be contributing so you know, along the lines of this, it, I'll occasionally see acute bouts, circuit headaches in the fitness world when people are looking way up at the ceiling during a deadlift or a squat. And we talked about this before in a previous episode. You know, I, I do think that there is a time and a place for that because we do know that those postures do increase extensor tone. I mean, it's a primitive reflex, but if that's a trigger of their headache, I'm going to try to teach them how to lift with a packed neck. And um, usually, you know, we can get kind of get a win-win with that, kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah, no, I think that is just like anything, um, anything that somebody comes into you for, uh, evaluating their movement patterns in, in other ways than just the classic range of motion testing. Um, so, you know, whether it be something more C-spine or any, really for me, anything, uh, you know, spine related, uh, I'm watching them, how they squat, how they hinge, how they do anything functional they're having to do in their daily lives or that they do in the gym or activities they participate in. And you're evaluating their movement patterns there and seeing if there could be a contributing factor because, you know, you could be doing all these things and assessing. It's like, well, all right, they're, they're, cervical range of motion is great. I'm, you know, after every treatment, they're feeling better from, from whatever, you know, manual techniques I'm doing or whatever specific uh, exercise we're doing, you know, while they're with me, but why, when I send them off, are they having issues? And a lot of times it's just because we haven't evaluated those potential other stressors like poor mechanics during, uh, you know, something else like a squat or a deadlift where they're, you know, just something as simple as they're staring at the ceiling while they're squatting. Um, and, and that is what's triggering it. So if you're not evaluating their movement patterns kind of, uh, you know, across the board, then, um, then we, we might miss something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. One other thing I wanted to make sure we threw in here too, is just to kind of emphasize the point that patients that have cervicogenic headaches, oftentimes actually usually won't have neck pain. They won't actually have neck pain with this. So keep that in mind. It's often, even though it comes from the neck, usually it's at, their, their neck is not actually hurting them um, during this. So they, they can oftentimes be two separate things. So I just want to make sure we include that as well too. Speaking of headaches, man, did you see Anthony Joshua get TKO'd? Man, I, I have to that say that crazy. that's that's not quite Buster Douglas over Mike Tyson, but that was a pretty uh, that was a pretty big upset from what I understand. I'm not a huge boxing guy, but you know, I mean, he closed at 11 to one. But he, you know, from what I understand, it really the odds didn't even seem to be that close uh, from from at least what they're making it out to be. Dude, I had I had no clue who Ruiz was before last night, but man, boxing is as good as the heavyweights are, and they got four monsters up top now, man. They got those two. Um, they got Tyson Fury, who's my favorite. He's just good on the mic. And uh, Deontay Wilder, I think he's the GOAT out of all four of them. But I can't believe that. Um, that's what they get for dodging fights, man. Ruiz came in and just threw a wrench in all those plans. But that was that was awesome, man. I love that. 
Yeah, I think I, I I can't say that I watched it. I've only I only got to see the highlights, but but it definitely was uh, was entertaining for sure. And he breaks the mold a little bit in terms of what you're you, you think of when you're ta- thinking of like a prized fighter. You know, he's a little he's he's a little bigger, and he gets a little shade for it, man. A lot of people are, are you know trolling him on social media for a little bit of the the beer gut going on. But hey, he's got some some heavy hands and a, a thick skull apparently. That, that I heard uh, Tyson Fury actually say one time on a podcast. He said, "I've." I've knocked out plenty of six packs in my day. And, but you see that though, like you see a lot of, a lot of athletes with a lot of body fat that have crazy endurance. And um, man, I think that's something we should uh, do an episode about one day because sometimes I'm just scratching my head. I just don't get it. But uh, that was awesome, man. I love that. Yeah, no, I think it, it kept uh, the Drake curse alive too. For what yes. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Please send him to Clemson next. Yep. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. A little bit. Yep, going out with Dabo. Maybe our maybe our Gamecocks will come out with a win this year. Uh, right. But uh, anyway, man, I think that was an awesome episode. You dropped a lot of knowledge bombs there. I know for me as a uh, future clinician, um, I, I'm taking notes as you're talking there. Uh, there's so much great info on 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 how to um, you know really manage the situation and then you know treat the whole person. You know, I think that's the an underlying theme of a lot of our episodes. I think it was uh, very much so of this one as well. Um, with all the different things talking about assessing lifestyle and and looking at you know more gross movement patterns and and incorporating simple things like uh, you know postural neck strengthening in within other movements and things like that. So uh, I thought that was an awesome episode, man. A lot of great content um, as always, guys. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, uh, give us a five star rating. We're getting close to a hundred reviews. We need like ten more, so please take a few seconds, go on there, throw a review on there. We appreciate it. It's also a great spot to leave a question. Our last episode last week was was a listener question, uh, and we love those, man. We think you know it really helps us figure out, you know, make sure we're talking about what you want us to talk about. So um, we appreciate that. Uh, as always, thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you all next Monday. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.com.